0: Chapter 58, Lazarus Come Forth This chapter is based on Luke 10, 38-42, and John 11, 1-44. Among the most steadfast of Christ's disciples was Lazarus of Bethany. From their first meeting, his faith in Christ had been strong, his love for him was deep, and he was greatly beloved by the Savior. It was for Lazarus that the greatest of Christ's miracles was performed. The Saviour blessed all who sought His help. He loves all the human family. But to some He is bound by peculiar tender associations. His heart was knit by a strong bond of affection to the family at Bethany, and for one of them His most wonderful work was wrought. At the home of Lazarus Jesus had often found rest. The Saviour had no home of His own. He was dependent on the hospitality of His friends and disciples, and often, when weary, thirsting for human fellowship, He had been glad to escape to this peaceful household, away from the suspicion and jealousy of the angry Pharisees. Here He found a sincere welcome, and pure holy friendship. Here He could speak with simplicity and perfect freedom, knowing that His words would be understood and treasured. Our Saviour appreciated a quiet home and interested listeners. He longed for human tenderness, courtesy, and affection. Those who received the heavenly instruction He was always ready to impart were greatly blessed. As the multitudes followed Christ through the open fields, He unfolded to them the beauties of the natural world. He sought to open the eyes of their understanding that they might see how the hand of God upholds the world. In order to call out an appreciation of God's goodness and benevolence, he called the attention of his hearers to the gently falling dew, to the soft showers of rain, and the bright sunshine, given alike to good and evil. He desired men to realize more fully the regard that God bestows on the human instrumentalities He has created. But the multitudes were slow of hearing, and in the home at Bethany Christ found rest from the weary conflict of public life. Here He opened to an appreciative audience the volume of Providence. In these private interviews He unfolded to His hearers that which He did not attempt to tell to the mixed multitude. He needed not to speak to His friends in parables. As Christ gave His wonderful lessons, Mary sat at His feet a reverent and devoted listener. On one occasion Martha perplexed with the care of preparing the meal, went to Christ, saying, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. This was the time of Christ's first visit to Bethany. The Saviour and His disciples had just made the toilsome journey on foot from Jericho. Martha was anxious to provide for their comfort, and in her anxiety she forgot the courtesy due to her guest. Jesus answered her with mild and patient words, Martha, Martha, thou art careful, and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary was storing her mind with the precious words falling from the Saviour's lips, words that were more precious to her than earth's most costly jewels. The one thing that Martha needed was a calm, devotional spirit, a deeper anxiety for knowledge concerning the future, immortal life, and the graces necessary for spiritual advancement. She needed less anxiety for the things which pass away, and more for those things which endure forever. Jesus would teach His children to seize every opportunity of gaining that knowledge which will make them wise unto salvation. The cause of Christ needs careful, energetic workers. There is a wide field for the Marthas, with their zeal in active religious work. But let them first sit with Mary at the feet of Jesus. Let diligence, promptness, and energy be sanctified by the grace of Christ. Then the life will be an unconquerable power for good. Sorrow entered the peaceful home where Jesus had rested. Lazarus was stricken with sudden illness and his sisters sent to the Saviour, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. They saw the violence of the disease that had seized their brother, but they knew that Christ had shown Himself able to heal all manner of diseases. They believed that He would sympathize with them in their distress. Therefore they made no urgent demand for His immediate presence, but sent only the confiding message, He whom thou lovest is sick. They thought that He would immediately respond to their message, and be with Him as soon as He could reach Bethany. Anxiously they waited for a word from Jesus. As long as the spark of life was yet alive in their brother, they prayed and watched for Jesus to come. But the messenger returned without Him. Yet he brought the message, This sickness is not unto death. And they clung to the hope that Lazarus would live. Tenderly, they tried to speak words of hope and encouragement to the almost unconscious sufferer. When Lazarus died they were bitterly disappointed, but they felt the sustaining grace of Christ. And this kept them from reflecting any blame on the Saviour. When Christ heard the message, the disciples thought He received it coldly. He did not manifest the sorrow they expected Him to show. Looking up to them He said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. For two days He remained in the place where He was. This delay was a mystery to the disciples. What a comfort His presence would be to the afflicted household, they thought. His strong affection for the family at Bethany was well known to the disciples, and they were surprised that He did not respond to the sad message, He whom thou lovest is sick. During the two days Christ seemed to have dismissed the message from His mind, for He did not speak of Lazarus. The disciples thought of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. They had wondered why Jesus, with the power to perform wonderful miracles, had permitted John to languish in prison, and to die a violent death. Possessing such power, why did not Christ save John's life? This question had often been asked by the Pharisees, who presented it as an unanswerable argument against Christ's claim to be the Son of God. The Saviour had warned His disciples of trials, losses, and persecution. Would He forsake them in trial? Some questioned if they had mistaken His mission. All were deeply troubled. After waiting for two days, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go unto Judea again. The disciples questioned why, if Jesus were going to Judea, He had waited two days. But anxiety for Christ, and for themselves, was now uppermost in their minds. They could see nothing but danger in the course He was about to pursue. Master, they said, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? I am under the guidance of my Father. As long as I do His will, my life is safe. My twelve hours of day are not yet ended. I have entered upon the last remnant of my day. But while any of this remains, I am safe. If any man walk in the day, he continued, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. He who does the will of God, who walks in the path that God has marked out, cannot stumble and fall the light of God's guiding Spirit gives him a clear perception of his duty, and leads him aright till the close of his work. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. He who walks in a path of his own choosing, where God has not called him, will stumble. For him day is turned into night, and wherever he may be he is not secure. These things said he, and after that, he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may awake him out of sleep. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. How touching the words! How full of sympathy! In the thought of the peril their master was about to incur by going to Jerusalem, the disciples had almost forgotten the bereaved family at Bethany, but not so Christ. The disciples felt rebuked. They had been disappointed, because Christ did not respond more promptly to the message, they had been tempted to think that He had not the tender love for Lazarus and his sisters that they had thought He had, or He would have hastened back with the messenger. But the words, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, awakened right feelings in their minds. They were convinced that Christ had not forgotten His suffering friends. Then said His disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of His death, but they thought that He had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Christ represents death as a sleep to His believing children. Their life is hid with Christ in God, and until the last trump shall sound, those who die will sleep in Him. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye might believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him." Thomas could see nothing but death in store for his master if he went to Judea. But he girded up his spirit, and said to the other disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. He knew the hatred of the Jews toward Christ. It was their purpose to compass His death. But this purpose had not succeeded, because some of His allotted time still remained. During this time Jesus had the guardianship of heavenly angels, and even in the regions of Judea, where the rabbis were plotting how they might take Him and put Him to death, no harm could come to Him. The disciples marveled at Christ's words when He said, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad that I was not there. Did the Saviour by His own choice, avoid the home of His suffering friends? Apparently Mary and Martha and the dying Lazarus were left alone. But they were not alone. Christ beheld the whole scene, and after the death of Lazarus the bereaved sisters were upheld by His grace. Jesus witnessed the sorrow of their rent hearts as their brother wrestled with his strong foe, Death. He felt every pang of anguish as He said to His disciples, Lazarus, is dead. But Christ had not only the loved ones at Bethany to think of, He had the training of His disciples to consider. They were to be His representatives to the world, that the Father's blessing might embrace all. For their sake He permitted Lazarus to die. Had He restored him from illness to health, the miracle that is the most positive evidence of His divine character would not have been performed. Had Christ been in the sick room, Lazarus would not have died, for Satan would have had no power over him. Death could not have aimed his dart at Lazarus in the presence of the life-giver. Therefore Christ remained away. He suffered the enemy to exercise His power, that He might drive him back, a conquered foe. He permitted Lazarus to pass under the dominion of death, and the suffering sisters saw their brother laid in the grave. Christ knew that as they looked on the dead face of their brother, their faith in their Redeemer would be severely tried. But He knew that because of the struggle through which they were now passing, their faith would shine forth with far greater power. He suffered every pang of sorrow that they endured. He loved them no less because He tarried. But He knew that for them, for Lazarus, for Himself, and for His disciples, a victory was to be gained. For your sakes, to the intent ye may believe to all who are reaching out to feel the guiding hand of God, the moment of greatest discouragement is the time when divine help is nearest. They will look back with thankfulness upon the darkest part of their way. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly, second Peter chapter two, verse nine, from every temptation and every trial. He will bring them forth with firmer faith and a richer experience. In delaying to come to Lazarus, Christ had a purpose of mercy toward those who had not received Him. He tarried that by raising Lazarus from the dead He might give to His stubborn, unbelieving people another evidence that He was indeed the resurrection and the life. He was loath to give up all hope of the people, the poor, wandering sheep of the house of Israel. His heart was breaking because of their impenitence. In His mercy He purposed to give them one more evidence that He was the Restorer, the One who alone could bring life and immortality to light. This was to be an evidence that the priests could not misinterpret. This was the reason of His delay in going to Bethany. This crowning miracle the raising of Lazarus was to set the seal of God on His work and on His claim to divinity. On His journey to Bethany Jesus, according to His custom, ministered to the sick and the needy. Upon reaching the town He sent a messenger to the sisters with the tidings of His arrival. Christ did not at once enter the house, but remained in a quiet place by the wayside. The great outward display observed by the Jews at the death of friends or relatives was not in harmony with the Spirit of Christ. He heard the sound of wailing from the hired mourners, and he did not wish to meet the sisters in the scene of confusion. Among the mourning friends were relatives of the family, some of whom held high positions of responsibility in Jerusalem. Among these were some of Christ's bitterest enemies. Christ knew their purposes, and therefore, He did not at once make Himself known. The message was given to Martha so quietly that others in the room did not hear. Absorbed in her grief, Mary did not hear the words. Rising at once, Martha went out to meet her Lord. But thinking that she had gone to the place where Lazarus was buried, Mary sat still in her sorrow, making no outcry. Martha hastened to meet Jesus, her heart agitated by conflicting emotions, In His expressive face she read the same tenderness and love that had always been there. Her confidence in Him was unbroken, but she thought of her dearly loved brother, whom Jesus also had loved. With grief surging in her heart because Christ had not come before, yet with hope that even now He would do something to comfort them, she said, Lord, if Thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Over and over again, amid the tumult made by the mourners, the sister had repeated these words. With human and divine pity Jesus looked into her sorrowful, careworn face. Martha had no inclination to recount the past. All was expressed by the pathetic words, Lord, if Thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But looking into that face of love, she added, I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus encouraged her faith, saying, Thy brother shall rise again. His answer was not intended to inspire hope of an immediate change. He carried Martha's thoughts beyond the present restoration of her brother, and fixed them upon the resurrection of the just. This He did, that she might see in the resurrection of Lazarus, a pledge of the resurrection of all the righteous dead, and an assurance that it would be accomplished by the Savior's power. Martha answered, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Still seeking to give a true direction to her faith, Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life. In Christ is life, original, unborrowed, underived. He that hath the Son hath life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. The divinity of Christ is the believer's assurance of eternal life. He that believeth on Me, said Jesus, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in Me shall never die. Believest thou this? Christ here looks forward to the time of His second coming then the righteous dead shall be raised incorruptible, and the living righteous shall be translated to heaven without seeing death. The miracle which Christ was about to perform in raising Lazarus from the dead would represent the resurrection of all the righteous dead. By His Word and His works He declared Himself the author of the resurrection. He who Himself was soon to die upon the cross stood with the keys of death a conqueror of the grave, and asserted His right and power to give eternal life. To the Savior's words, Believest Thou? Martha responded, Yea, Lord, I believe that Thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. She did not comprehend in all their significance the words spoken by Christ, but she confessed her faith in His divinity, and her confidence that He was able to perform whatever it pleased Him to do. And when she had so said, she went her way, and called Mary her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come, and calleth for thee. She delivered her message as quietly as possible, for the priests and rulers were prepared to arrest Jesus when opportunity offered. The cries of the mourners prevented her words from being heard. On hearing the message Mary rose hastily, and with an eager look on her face left the room. Thinking she had gone to the grave to weep, the mourners followed her. When she reached the place where Jesus was waiting, she knelt at His feet, and said with quivering lips, Lord, if Thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. The cries of the mourners were painful to her, for she longed for a few quiet words alone with Jesus. But she knew of the envy and jealousy cherished in the hearts of some present against Christ, and she was restrained from fully expressing her grief. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit, and was troubled. He read the hearts of all assembled. He saw that with many what passed as a demonstration of grief was only pretense. He knew that some in the company, now manifesting hypocritical sorrow, would ere long be planning the death not only of the mighty miracle worker, but of the one to be raised from the dead. Christ could have stripped from them their robe of pretended sorrow. But He restrained His righteous indignation. The words He could in all truth have spoken He did not speak, because of the loved one kneeling at His feet in sorrow, who truly believed in Him. Where have ye laid Him? He asked. They said unto Him, Lord, come and see. Together they proceeded to the grave. It was a mournful scene. Lazarus had been much beloved, and his sisters wept for him with breaking hearts, while those who had been his friends mingled their tears with those of the bereaved sisters. In view of this human distress, and of the fact that the afflicted friends could mourn over the dead while the Saviour of the world stood by, Jesus wept. Though He was the Son of God, yet He had taken human nature upon Him, and He was moved by human sorrow. His tender, pitying heart is ever awakened to sympathy by suffering. He weeps with those that weep, and rejoices with those that rejoice. But it was not only because of His human sympathy with Mary and Martha that Jesus wept. In His tears there was a sorrow as high above human sorrow as the heavens are higher than the earth. Christ did not weep for Lazarus, for He was about to call Him from the grave. He wept because many of those now mourning for Lazarus would soon plan the death of him who was the resurrection and the life. But how unable were the unbelieving Jews rightly to interpret his tears. Some who could see nothing more than the outward circumstances of the scene before him as a cause for his grief, said softly, Behold how he loved him. Others, seeking to drop the seed of unbelief into the hearts of those present, said derisively, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? If it were in Christ's power to save Lazarus, why then did He suffer him to die? With prophetic eye Christ saw the enmity of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He knew that they were premeditating His death. He knew that some of those now, apparently so sympathetic, would soon close against themselves the door of hope and the gates of the city of God. A scene was about to take place in His humiliation and crucifixion that would result in the destruction of Jerusalem, and at that time none would make lamentation for the dead. The retribution that was coming upon Jerusalem was plainly portrayed before Him. He saw Jerusalem compassed by the Roman legions. He knew that many now weeping for Lazarus would die in the siege of the city, and in their death there would be no hope. It was not only because of the scene before him that Christ wept. The weight of the grief of ages was upon him. He saw the terrible effects of the transgression of God's law. He saw that in the history of the world, beginning with the death of Abel, the conflict between good and evil had been unceasing. Looking down the years to come, he saw the suffering and sorrow, tears and death that were to be the lot of men. His heart was pierced with the pain of the human family of all ages and in all lands. The woes of the sinful race were heavy upon his soul, and the fountain of his tears was broken up as he longed to relieve all their distress. Jesus therefore again, groaning in Himself, cometh to the grave. Lazarus had been laid in a cave in a rock, and a massive stone had been placed before the entrance. Take ye away the stone, Christ said. Thinking that He only wished to look upon the dead, Martha objected, saying that the body had been buried four days, and corruption had already begun its work. This statement Made before the raising of Lazarus left no room for Christ's enemies to say that a deception had been practised in the past. the Pharisees had circulated the false statements regarding the most wonderful manifestation of the power of God. when Christ raised to life the daughter of Jairus, he had said, The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth mark chapter five verse thirty nine as she had been sick only a short time and was raised immediately after death, the Pharisees declared that the child had not been dead, that Christ Himself had said she was only asleep. They had tried to make it appear that Christ could not cure disease, that there was foul play among His miracles. But in this case none could deny that Lazarus was dead. When the Lord is about to do a work, Satan moves upon someone to object. Take ye away the stone, Christ said. As far as possible, prepare the way for my work. But Martha's positive and ambitious nature asserted itself. She was unwilling that the decomposing body should be brought to view. The human heart is slow to understand Christ's words, and Martha's faith had not grasped the true meaning of His promise. Christ reproved Martha, but His words were spoken with the utmost gentleness. Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Why should you doubt in regard to my power? Why reason in opposition to my requirements? You have my word. If you will believe, you shall see the glory of God. Natural impossibilities cannot prevent the work of the omnipotent one. Skepticism and unbelief are not humility implicit belief in Christ's Word is true humility, true self-surrender. Take ye away the stone. Christ could have commanded the stone to remove, and it would have obeyed His voice. He could have bidden the angels who were close by His side to do this. At His bidding, invisible hands would have removed the stone. But it was to be taken away by human hands. Thus Christ would show that humanity is to cooperate with divinity. What human power can do, divine power is not summoned to do. God does not dispense with man's aid. He strengthens him, cooperating with him as He uses the powers and capabilities given him. The command is obeyed. The stone is rolled away. Everything is done openly and deliberately all are given a chance to see that no deception is practiced. There lies the body of Lazarus in its rocky grave, cold and silent in death. The cries of the mourners are hushed. Surprised and expectant, the company stand around the sepulchre, waiting to see what is to follow. Calmly Christ stands before the tomb. A sacred solemnity rests upon all present. Christ steps closer to the sepulcher. Lifting His eyes to heaven, He says, Father, I thank Thee that Thou hast heard me. Not long before this, Christ's enemies had accused Him of blasphemy, and had taken up stones to cast at Him, because He claimed to be the Son of God. They accused Him of performing miracles by the power of Satan. But here Christ claims God, as His Father, and with perfect confidence declares that He is the Son of God. In all that He did, Christ was cooperating with His Father. Ever He had been careful to make it evident that He did not work independently. It was by faith and prayer that He wrought His miracles. Christ desired all to know His relationship with His Father. Father, He said, I thank Thee that Thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Here the disciples and the people were to be given the most convincing evidence in regard to the relationship existing between Christ and God. They were to be shown that Christ's claim was not a deception. And when He had thus spoken, He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. His voice, clear and penetrating, pierces the ear of the dead. As He speaks, divinity flashes through humanity. In His face, which is lighted up by the glory of God, the people see the assurance of His power. Every eye is fastened on the entrance to the cave. Every ear is bent to catch the slightest sound. With intense and painful interest, all wait for the test of Christ's divinity. The evidence that is to substantiate his claim to be the Son of God, or to extinguish the hope for ever. There is a stir in the silent tomb, and he who was dead stands at the door of the sepulchre. His movements are impeded by the grave clothes in which he was laid away, and Christ says to the astonished spectators, Lose him, and let him go. Again they are shown that the human worker is to cooperate with God. Humanity is to work for humanity. Lazarus is set free and stands before the company, not as one emaciated from disease and with feeble, tottering limbs, but as a man in the prime of life and in the vigour of a noble manhood. His eyes beam with intelligence and with love for a Saviour. He casts himself in adoration at the feet of Jesus. The beholders are at first speechless with amazement, Then there follows an inexpressible scene of rejoicing and thanksgiving. The sisters receive their brother back to life as the gift of God, and with joyful tears they brokenly express their thanks to the Saviour. But while brother, sisters, and friends are rejoicing in this reunion, Jesus withdraws from the scene. When they look for the life-giver, He is not to be found.